0: Thanks for joining us on the Authentic Church Podcast. Let's jump right into this week's message. And if you were here last week, I told you guys that it was my intent to preach some standalone messages, okay? I wanted to preach some standalone messages of what the Lord was placing upon my heart. But last week, or last Sunday, was so powerful and amazing. How many of you enjoyed last Sunday? I just felt that the Lord placed on my heart to continue this series. So it's almost like a secret series. I didn't play it coming. So I'm gonna go ahead and give it a title anyway, okay? So the series is now titled Guarded, right? Guarded. Last week, we talked about guarding your mouth. Today, we're gonna talk about guarding your heart, all right? Guarding your heart. I promise you, it's going to be good. We have a lot to dive into. But why do we need to guard our heart? Because the wisest man that ever lived, King Solomon, stated it like this. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, guard your heart above all else. Why? For it determines the course of your life. And I love that King Solomon said it like that. He's saying, listen, I brought a lot of wisdom into your life. There's a lot of good things that I have taught you that you can apply to your life for a better life. But if you don't remember any of it, please just remember this one thing above all else. You need to guard your heart. Look to somebody next to you this morning, tell them to guard their heart. You better guard your heart, right? most important thing you can do. Why? Because where your heart goes, you will follow. What your heart wants, that is what you will desire. Everything you do flows from your heart. That's what the Bible tells us. At the same time, Jesus gives us a very clear warning. And he says, listen, if your heart becomes corrupt, it will also attack your life. Your life will become bad because situations will happen and you will be led by the wrong motives instead of the spirit of God. So you need to guard your heart. Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 through 20, Jesus said it like this, but the words you speak come from where? Come from your heart. Guard your mouth. Okay. Because that's what can defile you for from the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander—these are the things that can defile you. Okay, these things, if it gets corrupt within your heart, can lead you down the wrong path of life. So, in other words, let me say it like this: There's a revelation for you today. You are in charge of protecting your heart. I want you to think about it. You are in charge of protecting your heart, and you may be saying, "Me? Are you sure, me? Yes." You are in charge of protecting your heart. And you may be saying, but pastor, everybody I give my heart to just seems to break it. Well, listen, people cannot break what you do not allow them to have. And you have been called to guard your heart. And this means that you need to guard the entrance of your heart. You need to protect the doorway and not just let every person that comes into your life, into your heart, into your inner circle, into knowing everything about you. You need to protect your heart and keep out what needs to stay out. But it's easier said than done. And maybe you've also said, well, pastor, there's been some people I trusted in my life and I gave them my heart, but they just ended up being a dog in the end, right? They crushed my heart. They ruined my heart. They were a dog. How am I going to trust anybody else? Jesus said it like this. And I get what you're saying. But Jesus made it clear in Matthew chapter seven, verse six. He said, don't give something that is holy to dogs don't give something that is holy to dogs. They will only turn and hurt you. Don't throw your pearls to the pigs, for they will only step on them. Now, why would Jesus say something like that? That's kind of cutthroat, all right? That's kind of harsh. He is calling people dogs and pigs. Why would Jesus say something like that? He's actually preaching this right here on the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about the subject of judgment, And we know this because of the previous verses before it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, Jesus said, Don't judge others, and God will not judge you. For if you judge others, you will be judged the same way you judge them, which means God will treat you the same way you treat other people. Oops. For some of you today, you may be thinking, I need to repent right now and come to this altar because I have not treated some people well this week. You're telling me God is going to treat me the same way I treat other people? Why? Because God is looking at your intentions, your heart, and what motivates you. But he goes from this subject all to verse 7 to say, don't give what is holy to dogs. So Jesus was making it clear, listen, you are not to be a hypocritical judge of other people or condemn them, but at the same time, the Holy Spirit will help you recognize the dogs and the pigs in your life that want to crush your heart, meaning you need to have discernment. It is good to have discernment over your life and not just to allow everything and everybody inside of your heart. Well, how do I have discernment? You ever asked that question before? because I've trusted some people and it just went south. I've done good things for other people. I've really put myself out there. And some of us, we trust everybody. You just have a trusting personality. Everybody you see with a kind kind face, you're like, I trust you, I like you. You can know everything about my life, right? And then at the same time, there's people on the opposite side that said, I don't trust nobody. Don't get near me, you won't like me, right? There's, There's people on both sides of it. So how do we have discernment to do what God has actually called us to do? Matthew chapter seven, verses 15 through 20 gives us the answer. And Jesus stated, beware of false prophets who will come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really, listen to this, are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their way, by their fruit, by the way that they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. A bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. You may be asking, Pastor, why are we talking about trees? I thought we were talking about our hearts. Don't miss the last verse. Just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can also identify people by their actions. By their hearts, by the way that they live, by the things that they say, by the way that they treat other people, meaning do not give your heart over to somebody just because they said they won't break it, but at the same time, they have burned all bridges with everyone else in their life. That is how they are living, so maybe it is a warning sign. Hey, maybe what they're telling me is actually not the truth. I need to guard my heart a little better and not just give it out so easily to everybody around me. Know them by their fruit. But the truth is, this is also difficult because in our culture today, there are a lot of lies about our hearts. There are a lot of lies about our hearts and how if you follow your heart's desire, everything will just be great for you. You'll be happy, right? Don't you want to be happy? Happiness is an emotion only in a moment. I said this in the first service. I said, I'm happy eating cheeseburgers. That makes me happy. But if I eat too many cheeseburgers, I'm not going to be happy 30 minutes later. (laughs) Why? Because it's going to upset my stomach. There are things in your life that make you happy in the moment. And when we lack self-control, I want this, I want that, I want this. And we just bring it all into our life. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, wait a minute. I don't feel good anymore. This doesn't feel like it used to feel. Why? Because you're actually looking for joy. You realize that's what the Bible says. You're looking for joy, and joy is a spiritual need. You only get that from the Spirit of God living inside of you because you can still have joy even in the midst of a trial. That's what gets you by, not just happiness in the moment. So there are a lot of lies in our culture, but we're going to destroy those lies by the truth of God's Word, amen? So I have three points that I want to teach you today. Let's go ahead and get to it. And by the way, after this service, we got baptisms today. New life in Christ. Make sure to stick around and celebrate. We get loud and rowdy with that as well. I know the kingdom of heaven is rejoicing over that, okay? So point number one is this. Guard your heart from what wants to consume it. You need to guard your heart from what wants to consume it. What does that mean? There are things in this life, things in this world that want to consume your heart, meaning there are things that want to be the master over your heart. Why? Because if something is the master over your heart, listen, it can actually determine where your life goes in the end. Meaning what you give your heart to can determine the end of your life. What you give your heart to right now, who you give your heart to can also be the result of the rest of your life. Really evaluate the situation and say to God, is this really what I want for my future? Because Jesus also said it like this. He said, wake up. So many of you want to follow me, but you also want to follow the world. You can't do both. You can't be fully devoted to Jesus and devoted to the world. You can't say, oh, okay, okay, God, on the weekends, I want to do this and go out and have all this fun. Then Sunday morning, I'm going to be praising your name. Then Monday morning, I'm going to be cussing somebody out at work, okay? You can't do that. Just got too real for you. So okay. Got to wake somebody up this morning. But Jesus said it like this. He said it Matthew. Chapter 6, verse 24, he said, no one can serve two masters. Now listen to this. You will hate one. You will love the other. I mean, that's a drastic difference. You will hate one. You will love the other because you will be devoted to one. And so because you are devoted to one, you will despise the other, meaning you will live for this world. You want to love this world. You also start to believe the lies of this world. And then you start to look at the truth of God's word saying, God, you just don't want me to have fun. How many times have you said that in your life? God, you just don't want me to be happy. You just don't want me to have a relationship. You just don't want me to have the things that I want. So I'm going to go out and find it, okay? Good luck. (laughs) Because you can't serve two masters. And the number one advice that I hear in our culture today is follow your heart's desire. It'll make you happy. And I feel like we see this in every TV show, every movie, and when they say it, they say it like they're skipping. Like, I'm not gonna skip up here, but you know know what I mean? Like they're twirling around, like if I just follow my heart's desire, then I'll be good. And it sounds good, but it's not true. And the Bible makes it clear. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse nine and 10, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. You mean Disney lied to us? Yeah, Disney lied about a lot of things. But listen to this, who really knows how bad it is, but I, the Lord, search their hearts. What do we do as people? We judge people by appearance. We judge people by their position, by their status, who they know, how they can benefit my life. But God doesn't look at your position. He only looks at the position of your heart. That's the only thing that matters to the Lord. And so here's what I love about this. Sometimes God can see those that feel so low that everybody else has forgotten. God sees the heart and he says, I could do something with that heart. I could do something big with that heart because they're gonna be obedient to me. This person that everybody's looking to, like a King Saul, make a lot of mistakes, rely on his own strength, but I can take a David and raise him up and do something special in him because of his heart. So God says, I look at the heart. I look and examine, listen to this, your secret motives you may have everybody else fooled. You cannot fool God. You may look good on the outside and say, I'm just doing this. You ever heard of a humble brag? Like, I just love the Lord so much. I don't want any recognition, but I just want everybody to know, like, I gave a lot this weekend, okay? All right, but that's just between me and God. Don't want to say nothing. That is called a humble brag. Listen, you already got your reward by telling everybody, but God knows what's in your heart. He says, I know the secret motives. So I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. So this means that your heart can deceive you. Why? Because in the moment, if it feels good, your emotions can get the best of you. You can be attracted to the environment around you and just give into something that feels good only for a time, but in the end can damage your soul. So you can't always trust your heart to lead you into the right direction, which means you need the word of God And you need the Holy Spirit to put your heart in check. There have been many times that I wanted something and God said, that's not for you. But I want this. It's not for you. But what I have is better if you trust me and trust my words. So you need to allow the word of God and the Holy Spirit to put your heart in check because it's easy to to be led by emotions. Just think about it. Have you ever said to God, well, God, I just want to be in this relationship this one right here. And God says, okay, okay. How's this fruit? How's the fruit of his life? What is he producing? Is he moving by faith? Is he doing his own thing? And, and you may be saying, well, God, okay, right now, let's be honest. He's not producing much good fruit in his life, but I bet I can change him later. And I'm saying this because I hear more women say this, more ladies seem to say this than, than men. And I know some men have gone through this as well, but more ladies will say, I could just change him. But listen, Ladies, if you're looking for a husband, you're not looking for a project to fix. Can I say that in here? Is that okay? You're not looking for a project to fix, meaning you're not called to be a babysitter. You're called to be a wife. But that's what you will become in the end. You will become a babysitter over the relationship, guiding everything, leading. It's supposed to be praying and leading and guiding you, protecting you. See, biblical husbands, and I'm also talking to all the husbands in the room right now and the the men that want to be husbands in the future. Biblical husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 and 26, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. We like to stop right there. Okay, that's fine. But don't miss, he gave up his life to make her holy and clean. He gave up his life to make her holy and clean. Listen to this. Wash by the cleansing of God's word. A husband, a godly husband should dedicate his life to protect his bride and cover her by the word of God. That's what this verse is saying right here. So how is he going to do that for you if he doesn't love the church? If he doesn't love the word of God, if he does not have an intimate relationship with the Lord, how is he going to speak the word of God and have you covered for the future? And I believe that's convicting for us all because it's easy to lose sight due to our emotions and just what we want right now. My heart wants it, Lord. I just want this right now. I feel like this would complete me, but the only thing that will complete you is the presence of God, the presence of Jesus. And the best Example of this scenario can be found out of the life story of King Solomon. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. Here's what it states. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3, tells us that in the beginning of Solomon's reign, Solomon loved the Lord, and he followed all the decrees of his father, David. Amen. Except, will you underline that? There's a very important word that came next, except he offered sacrifices and burned incense at the local places of worship. I just want you to see how big this is. Sometimes we can praise the Lord with all of his heart, except this one area, or I can give to the Lord and trust the Lord, except this one thing in my life. The Bible is making it very clear. There was something in his life that he was not completely giving over to the Lord. Okay, so we're going to get back to that. But verse four and five states, the most important of these places of worship was at Gibeon. So the king went there and sacrificed. Listen to this, 1,000 burnt offerings. And then what happened? That night, the Lord spoke to him in a dream. Did you know that God will speak to you in a dream? that the Father that we serve today will still speak to you. He will still give you answers and direction over your life. This church has been planted due to many dreams my wife and I have had and other people have had as well. Our future building that I talked about last week, I hope you were here. If not, you need to check out that message on YouTube because I told you God has opened up the door for an incredible supernatural building for our future. He's already opened up the building. Pretty soon we're going to go there. We're going to pray together and do worship there. How's that sound? but it came through some dreams. And that's what I've been sharing with you guys. So God is always speaking to us, but I also want you to notice here with Solomon. See, it was normal for a king to give one burnt offering over to the Lord. In fact, if Solomon were to give five burnt offerings over to the Lord, that would have been generous. But what's it say? He gave a thousand, a thousand. That's a lot of money. You got to understand that, especially in this time, in this culture, that is a lot of money to hand over to the Lord. Here is a tithe that He's giving over to God, saying, God bless me. I trust you in my situation. And so, because He prays the Lord there, God shows up and says, What do you want? What would your answer be? Right now, what would your answer be? What do you want? Anything. Ask it what do you want for your life? Ask it, and I will give it to you. Some of us would be like, hold on, God. Okay, hold on. Let me, let me think about this. I don't want to mess this up, <laughs> you know? I want you to hear what he said. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9. He said, give me an understanding heart. Notice that about Solomon in the beginning. He said, give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. The Amplified Version says it like this. Give your servant an understanding mind and a hearing heart to judge your people so that I may be able to discern between good and evil so that I know how to recognize your voice when I need to go this way or that way because King David was very good at leading his people in and out of battle. It was a warrior. The men of God that I see out of the Bible were warriors and they were strong. And they always went by faith to do what most people would not. That's the men that I see out of the Bible. But Solomon struggled with this a little bit. And so right here, he's praying to God saying, God, make me like my my dad. Make me like David. Help me, Lord, to lead my people in and out of battle because he had not been in the battles that David was in before. And so God shows up. And I want you to see this, okay? Also, listen to this. When your heart is in the right place with God because he's a good father, he always gives you more than you ask for. Have you noticed that in your own life? You're like, God, just, just help me in this area. And God's like, just help you. Like, is that all you want? Just, just some help? Just a little bit of help? Make it a little bit better? No. I got better plans for you. I got something good for your life. I got something that's coming, but you got to walk by faith. So verse 12 through 14 states it like this. God said, I'll give you what you ask for. I'll give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else had or ever will have before you or after you, but I'll also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And I feel like that's so big that when we read the story, we're just blown away by that part. We don't see the problems. There's two major problems that we see from the beginning of 1 Kings chapter 3, and the first problem we see is actually in verse 1. What did it state in verse 1? 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1, Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married one of his daughters. And he brought her to live in the city of David until he could finish building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around the city. He married a woman who worshiped false idols. He married a woman from an Egyptian background who worshiped false gods. She did not serve the God of Abraham, which was forbidden according to the law of Moses. So verse one says that he went after this woman for a treaty. There were some trust issues. He was breaking God's law because he thought he could depend on Egypt more than he could depend on God to protect him, to come through for him. And God saw this from the very beginning. And there's many verses out of the Bible where God will say, you know what? You will go to these other things to protect you, but they will not be able to protect you like my hand can protect you. But now look at this. Here we go. Let's look back at verse three. First Kings chapter three, verse three, Solomon loved the Lord. He followed all the decrees of his father, David, except he offered sacrifices and burned incense at the local places of worship. What does this mean? This was before Solomon's temple was built. This also was a time where the tabernacle had lost some of its significance to worship. And so some of the people, instead of going to the tabernacle at this time, would go to the mountaintops to worship God because that's what their father Abraham did. Right? That's what Abraham would do. He would go to the mountaintops and he would build altars to the Lord. So nothing seems to be wrong with that. So why would God forbid it? Because over time, guess what happened? These customs started to look a lot like the, the pagans that worshiped false gods on the mountaintops. So God stopped this custom according to the law of Moses. And we see it throughout the Old Testament that when they built altars to the Lord, if their hearts became corrupt and they started worshiping other gods, they would replace the altars of the Lord with the altars of their false gods over and over again. This would be a repeated problem in the nation of Israel. So God said, don't do it. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 4 and 5. Do not worship the Lord your God in the way these pagan people worship their gods. Rather... You must seek the Lord your God at the place of worship he himself will choose. God is choosing where he will be worshiped by his people. From among all the tribes, the place where his name will be honored. But Solomon disobeyed that. Yeah, God was still showing him grace. Think about it. Solomon disobeyed the Lord in this area, small area right? God still showed him grace. And I bet you Solomon said, well, it's no big deal. I'm still worshiping God. I'm still giving my heart over to the Lord, just 1,000 burnt offerings to the Lord right here. So what's the problem? I'm still coming up to the mountaintop. No, I'm not following this little bitty rule, but it's no big deal. How many of you know that some of the worst things that came into your life started with the phrase, it is no big deal? In the very beginning, right? It's no big deal. I could look at this for right now. I shouldn't be looking at it. But right now, it's no big deal. I could keep spending on this credit card. to some small, easy payments, right? It's no big deal. So later, I could just gossip a little bit. Feels good in the moment, right? To kind of bring somebody else down to make your life feel better in that moment. Just, just, just a little bit, just a word. Just let it slip. It feels better. No big deal. If I just flirt... Even if you're in a relationship, just small though. Nothing crossing the line, right? It's it's no big deal. What seems little is still a little push. And guess what? Here's what the devil wants for your life. He wants you to push a little bit at a time, push and push until that door completely opens to your heart. Allowing it to happen a little at a time. So every time it happens, you say what? No big deal. It's not going to do anything to me right now. Isn't that what the serpent said to Eve in the garden? Go ahead and eat the fruit. It's okay. Go ahead and eat it. God's not going to kill you. He wants you to become just like him. It is no big deal. Eve, eat it. Adam, eat it. You're right here with her. Eat it. Take it. They had everything that they needed until they doubted God and went a different route. You will always have everything you need When you follow the Lord, but you take a different route, you lose it all. Chaos came into their life. Chaos came into the world. Sin fell into the world. They had everything they needed before. The garden was there. Everything was beautiful. They were able to talk to the Lord. Any question they had right there. Right? There was nothing separating them from the Lord. And many theologians believe that Jesus was actually the one walking with them in the garden. They could ask him any question. But they said, it's no big deal. And in Solomon's life, what was no big deal actually turned into a very big deal. First Kings chapter 11, verse three, he had 700 wives of royal birth. What is wrong with Solomon? (laughs) Wisest man on earth. 700 wives and 300 concubines, by the way. And in fact, listen, here it comes. They did turn his heart away from the Lord. He allowed a little bit at a time into his life. One relationship to another, it's no big deal. To another relationship, no big deal. No re- another relationship, no big deal. Until they turned his heart away from the Lord. And this, to be honest, is where most men struggle. Most men struggle in this area because women are led more by an emotional connection But men seem to be led more by sight, by attraction. And the truth is, according to the word of God, attractions in your life can also become distractions that lead to a polluted heart. So what I'm gonna talk about next week, I'm gonna give you a little um, whatever about it. Okay, so next week, I'm talking about what you see. Couldn't think of the word. What you see in your life, you can also allow into your heart. When you open up your eyes to things, you can allow bad things into your heart. So this means what you look at matters what you look at with your eyes, actually matters. Attractions can become distractions that pollute your heart. And we see this, and because Solomon never got a grip over this, eventually the sin got a grip over his life. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4, in Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods. Instead of being completely faithful to the Lord, his God, as his father, David, had been. So let me state it like this. How can God heal your broken heart if you don't give God all the pieces? How can God heal your broken heart if you don't give God all the pieces? Because we do the same thing and we say, God, here you go. Here's my heart. All the pieces. You know what they said about me? That one hurt. That relationship was just a bad idea from the beginning. That food choice was not good. <laughs> These things hurt me, Lord. Here you go. And it looks good on the outside. It looks full. You know what God does? God knows everything. And he looks at our heart and he says, okay. I see a lot of good things here. A lot of good things you want me to heal and I can heal them. But this is not everything. What do you mean, Lord? there's still a piece missing. Yeah, but God, that's just one little piece. I mean, I'm giving you all this, (laughs) you see? Like, God, I'm I'm giving you all this. That's just one little piece. That's that's no big deal. It's just an area of my life that I'm still struggling in, and and I just want to trust it because it feels good in the moment. God, it's no big deal. But you push the door open a little bit, and if it's no big deal the first time, it'll be no big deal the second time. And then it's no big deal the third time, then the fourth time. Then all of a sudden, you notice there's a lot of no big deals in your life until everything. And this is all I have left, God. Because of all the no big deals in my life, because my heart was broken, but I went to the wrong things to fill it back up instead of you. And that's what Solomon did. Solomon went to these foreign women that had different values, different beliefs, right? And the Bible is very clear that they were able to transform his heart, turn his heart away from the Lord to follow their gods instead. First Kings chapter 11, verse four. And and listen, this would not have happened right right at once. In the beginning, I believe Solomon would have said, no way I'm gonna do all this, but it had to happen a little at a time to make him feel more comfortable. So there's things in your life that you should not be watching or listening to. There's things that you allow, but just a little bit at a time makes it feel better. Listen to this. First Kings chapter 11, verse four, Solomon worshiped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians and Molech, the detestable God of the Ammonites. How did he get to this point? And Ashtoreth, listen to this, is the goddess of fertility where they would force virgins into prostitution. Solomon built an altar to that, that demonic goddess. Not only that, but Molech was a demon of the Ammonites where children were sacrificed by fire. Imagine, Solomon got to this point because a little at a time, other things started to fill his heart. How quickly the heart can change when it's consumed by the wrong things. Can I ask you a real question? You don't have to answer it out loud. Does God have all the pieces to your heart? Every piece, every bit of it. Again, you may be saying, but I'm giving most of it. But there's still this one thing. You're not trusting the Lord with or handing over to God. And it leads to my second point, which is this. Point number two, guard your heart from the lack of self-control. Guard your heart from the lack of self-control. Solomon's heart was conflicted. He had the wisdom to know better, the wisest man on earth, but he still lacked the self-control to do what is right. You know what that means? You could have all the answers. You can know this Bible inside and out. You can say you know everything. If you wanna debate, here I am, I'm ready to go. You can have all the answers in your head, but it doesn't mean your heart is following the Lord. Once you see this out of Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, where it states, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. You know what's funny about that verse? Solomon wrote it. He's wise from his mistakes. And, and I started thinking about this. You know, Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, one of the most depressing books out of the entire Bible. Yet he had everything. He had fame, isn't? Isn't that what we want? Fame? Isn't that what we want? For everybody to know our name, for everybody to praise us and and talk about us and our achievements and our things, right? He had the fame. He had the money. He had every relationship he could possibly want, yet he was suppressed following the ways of the world because a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. This means your soul is like a city. Are the walls up? Or can everybody come into your city, into your life and hurt you? When you do not have guard, when you do not guard what is precious, the walls come down. This means any thought can get in. Any temptation can get in. A person, any person can get in. Any feeling can get in. Any desire you have in the moment can get in. Because a city with broken walls will always be overtaken by someone or something that has an agenda to master your life. How'd get to this point? Now, we can look at the story and say, well, Solomon just had a problem with women and he lusted too much and he just gave into that. And that's what, by my way, and yes, that's, that's true. But there's something deeper. And I believe this revelation, the real answer is found in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse nine and 10, where it states that the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart turned away from the Lord. Okay, so he got to a point where his heart actually turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who appeared to him, listen, twice, who had commanded him concerning these things that he should not follow other gods. God showed up twice. And remember, number two out of the Bible, we talked about this before, is a biblical number meaning fact. And there's a lot of times things are repeated out of the Bible twice to get your attention. A lot of times in my own life, God has spoken, and then he will speak it again to get my attention and confirm, this is what I have for you. And maybe you've seen that in your own life. You heard a word from the Lord, then you saw the scripture that went with it. Or you saw the scripture, then somebody you haven't seen in like a year came up and said, hey, I got this weird word from God. I just want to tell you this. And it's exactly what you read that morning. Confirmations. God did not give up on Solomon. That's what blows me away. He turned his heart away from God, yet God is still calling upon him because of the promises that he has already spoken over the kingdom. But he didn't listen. Here it is. Here's the answer of why Solomon got to this point. He did not observe. He did not remember. He did not obey what the Lord had commanded. Listen, he did not remember because he did not fill his heart with the word of God anymore. He filled it with other things. So what does that mean for your own life? It means that in your life, you can be so distracted by everything else. And maybe you're asking the question, well, God, I can't hear you anymore. When's the last time you opened this up? When's the last time you worshiped his holy presence in your room when nobody is looking? When's the last time you worshiped him when things were going good? Not just when things are going bad. And so he didn't fill his heart up with the word of God anymore. And because he didn't fill it up with the word of God, he's going to fill it up with something else. So he went from relationship to relationship to wealth to all these things that the world says is good. And he forgot the truth. How quickly you can forget God's truth when you give your heart over to someone who only speaks lies. How quickly you can forget God's truth when you give your heart over to the world that only speaks lies into your heart, into your head. Listen, do you see it? Solomon ran away from God's word because he did not like what God was saying. That's it. He did not like what God was saying about guarding his heart from dangerous relationships. Listen to the wording. First Kings chapter 11, verse one and two. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. He married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and even from among the Hittites, the enemies of Israel. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them. You must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to other gods. Here it is, here it is. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He didn't like what the Lord said. That's what it came down to. God said, this relationship is not good for you, Solomon. It's going to lead to death. It's going to pull you away from me. But Solomon said, I still want it in the moment. This is what I want right now, God. So I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to do my own thing. It's no big deal. I'll still worship you here and there. Can I ask you another question? Are you loving the wrong things? Are you loving the wrong things? Maybe you grew up seeing the people you love having no self-control, not led by the Holy Spirit. So let's be honest. Maybe you don't know what to love. Maybe you don't even know how to believe in love. You don't even know if love exists anymore because all you've seen is divorce and all you've seen is heartache and people leaving and giving up and just hurting each other. That's been your only experience, Maybe Solomon carried this from his own father. See, King David was far from perfect. King David had a lack of self-control in many areas of his own life. Remember I told you last week that one of his sons, Absalom, tried to kill him? There's a reason. Because Absalom's sister was raped. And King David didn't do anything to protect her at all. And it led to a lot of division and a lot of hate within the family and hearts were ripped apart and torn apart. And so David was conflicted because he still loved his son, but now his son was trying to kill him and overtake the throne. So they went to war and Absalom died. But I want you to hear the words of King David in 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 33. The king was overcome with emotion. And so he went up to the room over the gateway and burst into tears. And as he went, he cried, Oh my son, Absalom. My son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son, this tragedy happened because hearts were divided. So, Joab, the military commander under David, said this to him in 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 5 and 6. He says, We saved your life today, David. We saved your life. In the lives of your sons, your other sons, your your daughters, and your wives, and your concubines, that you act like this, making us feel ashamed of ourselves? Here it is. You seem to love those who hate you, and yet you hate those who love you. You have made it clear today that your commanders and your troops mean nothing to you. It seems that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died, You would have been pleased. He said this to King David. I want you to see this. You love those who hate you, but yet you hate those who love you. And I believe this statement is so real. And I heard it stated like this if you never heal from what hurt you, you will always bleed on people who never cut you. You have to heal. No person can do that for you. Your spouse can't do that for you. The relationship you're in, that person can't do that for you. Even your own family, your parents, maybe your children, your friends, nobody else can heal your heart but Jesus. But what do we do? Instead of a relationship with Jesus, we run to one relationship after another relationship after another relationship after another relationship. When we're so cut, we're still bleeding on other people and we're expecting them to heal our wounds. Or maybe right now you're so hurt by that one friend, you decide, you know what? I'm not gonna listen to anybody else anymore. I'm not gonna allow anybody else in my life. That one friend lied to me. So I'm not gonna get close to anyone again. You cannot avoid the hurt you have in your heart and expect it to go away. Man, we get so good at that though. We get good at avoiding hard conversations. We get good at avoiding our real feelings. We get good at avoiding the pain. We try to forget it. Sometimes we numb it with other things. We go to things that give us pleasure in the moment so we don't have to think about it. We try to avoid it, but no matter how many times you try to avoid it, it will always catch up to you, does it? Because you can't avoid the hurt that is in your heart and expect it to go away and fill it with moments of pleasure because of lack of self-control, meaning stop running to Band-Aids because every wound needs to be cleaned first. I'll just go to a Band-Aid when it's still dirty, when it's still infected, when it needs to breathe for a little bit, when you need to wash it and clean it. Listen, this leads to my last point. And here's again, what I love about God, no matter how many mistakes you've made, no no matter how many times you've ran to the wrong things, God will still show up in your situation right now to heal your broken heart. Point number three is this only in the hands of God will your broken heart be healed. Only in the hands of God will your broken heart be healed. Psalms chapter 147, verse 3. I love this. He heals the brokenhearted. Who? Who's he? Not your parents. Not your spouse, your friends, the people that mean well. The Bible is very clear. There's only one that has the authority to heal your broken heart. Really? And I'm about to show you why. But it says he can heal the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. And so the truth is when you give your heart over to Christ, you not only heal, listen, here's what's good. You start to believe again. When there's healing, you can believe again in something better, because the truth is this, in order to have a healthy relationship in your life, in order to have healthy friendships, in order to have a God-centered relationship, you must first believe it can exist, which means you have to throw away all the lies that you've heard in the past, which means you have to throw away all the hurt from the past, previous relationships you were in. They broke my heart, yeah, give it to God. But don't judge the next person you get to know because of what somebody else did in your past but you're never going to step by faith into this promise unless you believe it first i'm asking you do you believe that god can give you a real relationship do you believe that god can give you real friendships real community in your life that can help you that can build you up that can pray for you in those times of need And you may be saying, Pastor, listen, they they hurt me. And my heart is is in a million pieces. Can God really do something with my heart? Listen, not only will he heal your heart, but you run to him, he'll give you a brand new heart. That's why only Jesus can heal your heart. Because he takes the old and he gives you something new. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, he says, I will give you a new heart. I'll put my spirit in you, the Holy Spirit. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and I'll give you a tender, responsive heart. You know what that means? I'll give you a heart that can believe again in the promises that God has for your life. And no matter who broke it in the past, it won't matter anymore. You can look at them, you can forgive them and you can move in freedom. Because of Jesus. Because even when you bring your pain to God, he puts purpose on it. In every situation. And God's word will guide you into healing and to heal others. That's what you're called to do. Psalm 119, verses 105 through 111 says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet, a light for my path. I promised it once. And I'll promise it again. I will obey your righteous regulations. Listen, for I have suffered much, oh Lord. Restore my life again as you have promised. Lord, accept my offering of praise and teach me your regulations. My life my life, constantly hangs in the balance, but I will not stop obeying your instructions. The wicked have set their traps before me, but I will not turn from your commandments. You ready? Your laws, your ways, O God, are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. You see it? Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. What is the treasure of your heart? Is it the word of God? Is it to follow him or to follow your own way? Do your own thing. God will give you a new heart and that means everything flows out of you and it can change. It changes everything. Can I ask you this question? How do you guard your heart properly? How do you guard your heart in relationships and with other people? Listen, your intake matters, meaning you need to find people who sharpen you by the word of God. Not just in a dating relationship, but in friendships, too. You need to be around people that will sharpen you, that will help you, that will bring community into your life, that will help you know the Word of God that says, hey, even though you're suffering, I'm praying for you. I got you back. Also, it means you need to be in relationships that are equally yoked, same values, same beliefs, putting God first. Jesus has to be the center because even with good people, if Jesus is not the center, everything can fall apart easily. It doesn't matter how good the relationship looks on the outside. If Jesus is not the center, it will crumble over time because life happens. Trials happen. Emotions change, feelings change, but God will always direct your heart in the right place. You need to be equally yoked also with your friendships and the people that are investing in your life. And the third thing, listen, you need to cast vision. Without vision, what happens? People perish. In your relationship, you need to cast vision. There are too many marriages in this room where you said, this is as good as it's gonna get. Cast vision. Believe that the Lord can make it even better. There's friendships in here. You need to cast vision over and say, you know what, God, my vision this year is I wanna be a better friend. I wanna pray for them, even though they have what I want. I wanna bless them, even though they have the things that I want right now, and I'm struggling with that but I want the best for them because my vision is to care God about the things that you care about. And I know that if I walk in obedience, even the small things will become big blessings in the end. Every footstep closer to the Lord is a footstep closer to the promise that He has for you. That is how your heart heals. And so I wanna end with this verse. And I'm gonna have you stand up right here and I'm gonna ask the prayer team to come up front go ahead and get ready at this altar because I believe the Lord is going to heal a lot of broken hearts today, a lot of hearts that have been hurt from the past and destroyed by other people. But Proverbs 4, verse 23, states it like this in the ESV translation. Keep your heart with all villages, for from it flows what? From your hearts flows the spring of life, meaning what is in you will always flow out of you. What is in your heart will always flow out of you. So let the love of God flow out of you. In every situation, every broken heart that you've had, you can go somewhere new, meet new people and say, my heart used to be a million pieces too. But let me tell you about my Jesus and how he not only healed me, he gave me a brand new heart and now I see people in a different way. I know that when I experience pain, he still puts purpose on it. I know that he still has promises over my life because I trust him right now. So you allow the life to flow out of you in every relationship you establish. No more death, but life. When you do what? When you guard your heart. Can we say that together? Guard your heart that's what the Lord has called you to do protect what is precious to the Lord and give it back over to him so right now if you need to come down to this altar and say God it's been a long time my heart has been far from you come down to this altar maybe you're saying somebody hurt me God right now I have been out of a relationship and I'm not healed from it and I need healing And you need to speak to somebody, then come up to this altar as well. Maybe you're saying, God, my parents hurt me. My family hurt me. I know what it's like to have division in my life. My heart is broken, but I want the gift of a new heart. I want a change in my life. Listen, God knows how to heal you, but it is up to you to run to Him. It is up to you to say, God, you know what? I need you. I need you. I'm tired of pretending. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you've been blessed by this message, be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss future messages. And if you feel led to give to this ministry, check out the link in the description and see the other ways you can get connected.